Okay, so are there um, any of those creatures still in the room? They retreated, right? Or the, the remaining living one retreated? You shot one and the other one ran into the room beyond where Vesper is currently writhing on in the doorway, trying to like get her feet and sweep these maggots off of her. And Jiro burned them all off, right? Or are they still on her? Jiro comes running up and sticks his fingers into two of the wounds. He mutters a couple of elder syllables. Her back arches and she breaks her horn off. Because of this, you take two points of damage, Vesper. How are you for hit points? Um, give me one sec. I am currently at four. You take three of those in rock drop damage and you see the thing wiggle you see the thing wiggle up underneath the skin on her on her thigh just above her knee, Jiro. Because the thing retreated beyond the circle of special candlelight that can let us see it, Finn is going to come up towards where Vesper is to try and drag her back, help her get back on her feet. Kind of cautiously, like scanning for if the thing is there, scanning the floor to see if any of the grubs survived the fire blast. Oh, he just fire blasted Vesper, not the grubs. Okay. How big are the grubs? It's an area. So, you remember that scene in Princess Bride when Wesley and Buttercup are in the fire swamp and the spurt of flame kind of shoots up and lights her dress on fire and she starts panicking and Wesley kind of crouches down and uses her dress to put the flames out of yep. So Finn's going to try and do that to use, like not touch the grubs with his hands, but use the folds of her clothing to kind of brush them away and knock them off her. They are inside her skin. One of them is. Well, until their next attack, anyway. I don't know if Finn would have spotted that. The first thing he wants to do is get the rest off her from making it worse. All right, so you reach over and help her up onto her feet. She gets up and uh, she's still freaking out about something, even though you, you're brushing the, the majority of them off her feet and legs. And like the clothes and whatnot that you, and, like, you can see them falling out of the folds of her clothes and off of her and... Juro, who's standing next to her and also helping her up, you can see uh, these things are like teaming up out of the cracks of the floor and like wriggling with speed preternatural to something without any fucking legs up his boots and uh, over yours too. They seem to be boiling out of the floor and that's when they start falling out of the ceiling cracks too. Like fuck, they're raining on you. Holy shit. Uh, wisdom save, everybody. 19. 19. 13. 13. 20. Vesper, you're up next. So, just for my reference, I am on my feet being held up by Finn and Juro. Something is crawling up my leg inside my skin. Yes, and then a bunch of things fall out of the ceiling on top of you as the, as the rest of them... Uh, aroused by the promise of warm flesh to eat, come burrowing up out from under the floor. Oh, fuck. I think we'd better get out of here. 
Does Finn or Juro have a knife on their belt real quick that I can see? Finn does. I'm going to grab the knife from Finn and jam it into my thigh where I can feel the creature crawling. Roll to hit. Well, that's a 12. Okay. Magrin. Yes. Vesper gets helped up off the ground and uh, eyes wide, raving, grabs Finn's knife and plunges it into her femoral artery. Fuck. Finn, Jiro, what are your armor classes? Mine is 15. Mine is 17, and I was right up there, too. So, I kind of hate to admit it, but I'd be uh, <laughs> probably getting eaten. Mine is 16. Thank you very much. Okay, so, Finn, you see as the rain of grubs just bounces off the translucent, semi-invisible semi plates of Eldritch Force, which surround Juro's frame. And uh, Garnak, all dwarven like that, he just shakes them off. They can't get through all the hair, but you, man, right down the back of your shirt. Um, Garnak, I need you to roll a d6, and Juro, I need you to roll a d4. Two. Also two. Take four points of damage. Finn, as these things go down the back of your shirt and start digging into your flesh. I'm at nine. So you help Vesper up. She grabs this knife off your belt and frantic with fear, she stabs herself broadly. This is a bad wound. The shock of it rushes the air from out of her lungs. She crumples onto one knee. This is, you reach out to steady her and in so doing, lean forward just enough for two of these things to find the collar of your shirt past the brim of your hat. They wriggle under, one finds your armpit, and the other one just digs in between your spine and scapula into the thick muscle on your back there. Um, they feel rather like somebody taking one of the old cigarette lighters out of a car, heating it up and pressing it onto your skin. No wonder Vesper was so uncomfortable and so crazy with this. You'd want to dig the fuckers out too. And in fact, as your knife is stuck in her thigh, Make a wisdom save. Natural one. Yeah, you pull it out. There's a spray everywhere. And uh, that's when we're going to go into dramatic time now from combat. Magrin, as you rush across the room, these all you can hear is shouting and Vesper being dragged across the room as Finn pulls the knife out of her leg. There's a spray of blood everywhere. Things have gone completely fucking sideways. And the next thing you know, there are lights from the hatch above you and people shouting down. A flurry of confusion later, there are lots of people there. there there's like a bunch of people who apparently are servants and uh, probably the best looking couple any of you have ever seen in your life. In that time, evidently they had managed to cross the causeway and come in with torches and staff to get you the hell out of there. As the scene fades in, an indeterminate period of time later, you are all safely ensconced in what appears to be a carriage house across the causeway from Hawthorne House entirely. This is Hank and Judy Castle, and uh, they own this, like, th this is their, their beach house. They live out here most of the year now, and... Uh, the human man, who's about 45 or so, got like strawberry blonde hair that's great at the temples and a really striking profile. 
And uh, he's looking at Juro with a look on his face that's not really anger, uh, kind of a, a bewilderment. And he says, hey, but please, you, you can stay the storm here. It's, uh, it's no trouble or anything. I, I still don't know why the hell you would go in there. What, what were you thinking? Well, we were, we were planning on cleaning up whatever otherworldly mess is in the place. This place has been haunted for years. And you think you're the first ones to give it a try, chum? Now that place is a damn eyesore, but uh, I gotta tell you, you're lucky you weren't killed. You don't generally see many people out here, and uh, as long as they leave it alone, it doesn't act up too much. And then every once in a while, people will come in and try to get the damn fool selves killed. I couldn't believe it when I seen you coming up the road with the storm coming in and all. I'm just glad that I found you in time and nobody was hurt. You're the proprietor? Yeah, I'm, I'm the neighbor. So you do know what's going on in that house, right? I know it's terribly haunted and I wouldn't go there for a hundred dollars in gold. I don't know about haunted, but there's there are certainly creatures in there that need to be expunged. And we were getting to that. We were very close, in fact. Uh, Infested is a good word for it. Thank you. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Infested, not haunted. Maybe both. Be be a little more careful next time. If you must, I can't stop you. You're grown people and all, but uh, your friend got a, a bad dose there, and I'd, uh, well, I'd hate to see anybody get hurt. Judy, how is she? And the beautiful half-elven woman goes over to the doctor who's been conferring with Magrin. Magrin, between you and he, you've managed to put Vesper and Finn and everybody else who needed to be put back together, back together. Perhaps we could have come to you before we started. But you see, and I'm go- I go into a whole explanation of why we're there in the first place. And... Uh, just off, kind of off camera. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners. And so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but... We'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. Your shit's fucked up. I said my shit's fucked up. Magrin, you should probably go put some stitches into Finn's back. Uh, if you guys are going to go do that thing again, he does have those open wounds, and it wouldn't do to have him get infected. Of course, of course. Now, Finn, are you going to sit quietly for this, or do you need a bit of 
numbing. And she pulls out a bottle of dark liquor. Finn takes it out of her hand and takes a swig. She then takes it back and uh, begins using it as the antiseptic on his back as well. Adam, I would have cast alarm near the front door just to be safe in case any of the oogie boogies in there decide to follow us back out. So I would ask permission from the owner, make sure that's all right, and just drop an alarm out there just to be safe in case something strange showed up. Sure, Chum, you do what you, you do what you need to. I'm just glad that I, well, I'm just glad nobody was killed. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Can I get you to make an insight check? Sure. Finn, same thing. I got a five. I also got a five. All right. Well, good whiskey, Finn and Garnack. Uh... I got an alarm to set up. Finn's too focused on gritting his teeth as the stitches go in. Vesper? Yes? You open your eyes and uh, are in a warm, safe spot. You feel comfortable. The burning in your thigh has been taken care of. It seems you don't feel it anyway. You wiggle your foot and your tail and you seem to feel them all right. And when you open your eyes, there is a beautiful half-elven woman looking at you. She takes her finger and moves your hair up over the stump of where your horn used to be. And she clicks her tongue and says, oh, you're beautiful antlers. They'll, they'll grow back eventually. Where did the antler go? Just, And she's just kind of looking around from where she's laying very, very confused. She tucks the hair up away from the boo-boo so it doesn't get all stuck there. There's a dressing on that part of the horn because it was a little, it was bleeding somewhat. Vesper's going to attempt to sit up from where she's at just very, very cautiously and awkwardly because she feels off balance. When you sit up, you have some stitches and a bandage on your leg. She'll just look at it briefly, remember, oh yeah, that, and then throw her skirt down to try and cover it and kind of try and cover herself up a bit because she remembers, oh shit, my back. Across the room, well, sorry, in the room, you can see this beautiful half-elven when she puts her hand on her on her shoulders. Uh, you didn't hear her name, so she's... Uh, she, she puts her hand on your shoulder to, to steady you. And uh, Garnack is setting an alarm up on the door while this handsome human fella is watching Garnack. Um, Magrin, who is scarlet to the shoulders and uh, with like not a few spatters on her face and hair of blood, is uh, sewing two cigar burn-sized holes closed in Finn's back while he leans on a chair back and drinks from a bottle of whiskey. Pardon my language, but how in the name of heaven did we get here? Well, I was, I was the only one not dealing with maggoty grossness. Uh, these fine fellows <laughs> and 
happened uh, to pull us out in time that we that I could deal with all of your wounds, remove the remnants of the maggots with the help of this uh, interesting gentleman. Magrin kind of flutters her eyelashes at the 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 gnomish featured man with the medical talent. He uh, kind of puffs his skinny chest out and squares his narrow shoulders and cocks an eyebrow back like, you're not so bad yourself, lady. There's an involuntary, oh, oh God. Not out loud, but definitely internally. And Vesper is going to attempt to stand up. Just seeing how her feet feel underneath her. Sorry, I meant to specify. You stand up and make a dexterity save. Fourteen. There's a bit of a dip as you put your weight on your leg and the uh, new arrangement and volume of blood in your body adjusts for a second. Slight dizzy spin, but uh, the foot holds you and the leg holds you and your tail seems to be keeping your balance and... Uh, it's when you flick it off to the side, you realize you see that there apparently was one of those things that had burrowed into your tail as well. How unfortunate. But uh, all the same, you seem to be feeling well enough. Uh, Magrin finishes the stitching in Finn's back. Finn, there's about an eighth of the bottle of whiskey left. Juro, a close call, but Everybody pulled together and survived in the end. Not bad. It, it is noteworthy that Juro's clothing is spotless, and he almost seems to shimmer. Do I still have those snowdrops in my antler? On your one, yeah. Vesper just, as she's standing there, reaches up to feel her antlers, and one, she pulls the snowdrop off the one that's left, and then she turns to Magrin and asks, Magrin, where's my other antler? Oh, um, when making our escape, we didn't have time to grab it. Uh, we can check for it if we ever go back there. Is she lying to my face right now? That's why we, that's why we have dice. I need you to roll a deception check, Magrin. And uh, Vesper, you can roll insights. Natural 20. No modifiers. 21. Holy shit. Clearly, Magrin... Like, no one... Like, Magrin just look, turns... All, she's all innocence. There is no way that Magrin has this handler. And then Vesper just stands there, staring, and folds her arms across her chest and says nothing, and just stares at her, and raises her head to tilt her antler up, because that's a little more comfortable now. It's, yeah, the balance is weird with just one antler, Vesper, this is going to take some getting used to. But you tilt your head so that your one antler isn't all cocked and you don't feel off balance. This exchange goes on for 10 seconds. And, uh, Magrin, make an insight check. 22. Yeah, she's on to you. I expect nothing less from her, but I will not admit guilt. 
All right, Vesper, uh, also make a persuasion check. That was a natural 20 for a total of 24. Magrin, I know you're not telling me the truth, but keep your secrets for now. And she will limp forward and take the bottle of whiskey from um, Finn. Can I make a nature check to see if Finn knows what rock grubs will eat and won't eat? Yep. 22, natural 20. Jesus, where was that while we were fighting? <laughs> I know. <No> kidding. <laughs> where, where were these rolls when we were fighting you guys? So they, you got to... Skill, bag your skill checks and make your and make your combat rolls. This is how we Blame play D&D Beyond. <laughs> Would you please? Come on. All right. Um, yeah, it's just that's the way the luck goes. Eh? That's weird. Uh, yes, rot grubs are commonly used by the menagerie and uh, in specific the xenozoology school for cleaning skeletons. They don't live very long and uh, they eventually turn into sturges. They certainly don't like fire. They don't like fire, and uh, when they hatch, they turn into sturges. Will they even eat, like, the bones of a skeleton? They just clean out. Uh, they clean off all the flesh. They leave a... They, they leave a perfect... Uh, they leave a perfectly clean skeleton. So the generally accepted practice is to gather a scoop of grubs from the bin... Um, Magrin knows where the bin is. She's one of the people who is trusted with a key to it. And uh, just take a scoop from the bin, cover the container, put the body in a put the body in another container, put the grubs in with the body, close the lid. Don't open the lid for a couple of weeks. So knowing this, Finn will stand up from the chair as Vesper grabs the bottle out of his hand shrug his shirt back on, start buttoning it up, and look at her and say, uh, your horn's probably still there in the basement. If you want to go get it and charge off again by yourself, be my guest. Vesper will just look at him, and she will just take a swig, and then say, my horn's not in that basement, I'm pretty sure. But also, Perhaps we'll go back, or sorry, I will go back. After all, you're tired of trying to help me. Then she will just turn her back and go back over to the bed that she was at earlier. So Finn, hearing this, give an incredulous look at his aunt and finally catch on to what happened and just roll his eyes at her. Megrin is currently, you know, washing her hands after fixing Finn's back wound, and she just has this I'm just so innocent face. Like, how could you think your your auntie would be a thief? Gerald, the door opens in you and Henry and Judy step out into the night to walk up the long lane toward the house. And uh, it is a screaming, howling maelstrom. The sky has no stars in it. The sky is actually only about 800 feet off the ground, if the clouds are to be believed. And the rain is coming in in sheets and torrents. It is raining so hard that you could barely see the lights of the house 
from the carriage house where you are. As you step out, Henry speaks a word and a wall of force comes into being, sheltering the three of you from the rain. And at a genteel pace, he uh, waits for you and Judy before heading off up the drive. That's a neat trick. Oh, do you think so? Um, I'm, I'm sure you don't remember, but uh, I, I, well, I'm a tall water grad. You? Yes, sir. I graduated, uh, well, 35 years ago now. I took basic exorcism and adjuration uh, in my sophomore and uh, senior year with you. Wait a minute. It's been a long time, Professor. Uh, it's good to see you again. Henry. Henry. Sir, Henry Castellanta. Castle, oh, for short. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I didn't recognize how have you been it's been years that's when you recognize her you start for her licensing exams judith oh my goodness you two ended up together that's okay this is going to sound crazy and creepy and all sorts of things but teachers have betting pools about which students will end up together and you two were well, least likely, actually. It's it's quite a funny story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. How, how did you two end up here in just staying in Tallwater? You, uh, that was the last I ever heard of both of you. Well, I, uh, I did all right for myself, as you can see. And indeed, now that you're looking at it, you've been walking for 45 seconds to a minute now, and you're a ways away from the carriage house. But uh, the beach is all maintained. There's no garbage on the beach here. The grasses are artfully maintained. And now that you look at it, it looks like a better homes and gardens version of a dune house out along Cape Cod or similar like that for ease of reference. Amazing. And uh, the place... The house itself, it's, well, it's not a mansion, but it's what rich people call a cottage, which is what poor people call a five-family dwelling. It's remarkable. What is it that you do? Oh, uh, I was, well, my, my family was a bit of a big deal around here for a while. Uh, we ran the town for a bit. I, I never became political myself. I got into a, a few things. I, I did a bit of shipping. I, uh, I mainly stuck to investing and uh, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, me and Judy, we, we did all right. Just shipping and you, you... You know how... You know how potent a wall of force is. How did, how did you get just shipping, really? I'm amazed. Well, I mean, when you can... I... I I did a bit of sailing as well, you know, I, I went to places that other people couldn't because of my university education and unique skill set. Oh, Henry, come on, you're an excellent wizard and you know it. At this point, Juro is just beaming with pride that he, he actually knows this person who, who turned into what, what seems to be quite a powerful mage. Well, make an insight check, too. Oh, boy. 
<laughs> Four. Nah, you... If they didn't tell you they were your students, most of the time you wouldn't remember you were too busy teaching, right? But these two, these are, wow, hey, yeah, big deals, good for them. So about a minute later, after some small talk about shipping and investments and, you know, the ability to take ships uh, where other people couldn't, to wit, across the sky, he uh, started in terrestrial shipping and... Uh, ended up in airborne shipping and has made a mint doing runs from here to Bailey Mina. But all that's just boring business stuff. Surely uh, I can't interest, I can't interest a, a high-minded academical such as yourself. So uh, please come in and the doors to this place open. And uh, as soon as you pass the threshold, the storm is left outside. And everything within is quiet. And there's uh, like some light piano music and you can hear the, the warm crackling of a hearth from the other room. And some children come running in and like, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, did you save them? And like three kids, uh, 10, nine and five. Uh, two boys and a girl with the girl in the middle. Oh, goodness. Oh, who's this? Oh, this here is uh, Professor Juro, kids. He's a very important man up at the university. He came down to do some field research and got caught out in the rain. I'm having his friends over this evening. Well, uh, maybe you can see them in the morning, but uh, this is not for you. You should run off to bed now. Go on, you little scamps. And uh, the kids all giggle and run off like everything else in here completely perfectly. Juro uh, grins after them and tips his bowler at them. So I have to ask, uh, what what is what is the truth of Hawthorne House? What what happened over there? What happened over there is they moved in and the whole neighborhood took a shit. I'm sure I don't know what that means. This place used to be the the place you know and then hawthorne came out here and he built his house on that rock now this was oh this was years and years ago in my grandfather's time see but uh this used to be the sort of place you wouldn't be afraid to raise a family but uh hawthorne well he came here and sure his family they were from somewhere else we never held that against them not a bit but bit by bit as time went on well People got more and more interested in that house. And soon Hawthorne himself was gone and just sold to anybody. See? The thing is, if you don't make if you don't keep an eye on who comes into your neighborhood, you can't keep an eye on who comes into your neighborhood. And pretty soon it all goes for a shit. I think I see what you mean, but how did well how did it become haunted? Well, the last owner, jeez, I must have been 15 or 16 at the time, a long time ago anyway. Well, I guess not for not for you, begging your pardon, sir. Just then Judy comes in with a, a servant who is carrying a tray with a bottle and three glasses. The vintage is one you recognize. It's the university sellers, of course, but uh, it's a 673. So this is a 248-year-old bottle of wine. Now that's a vintage I've never seen outside of the university before. We like to make sure that we're well-provisioned. 
Yes, quite. Now, um, what, what exactly happened over at the Hawthorne house, I believe you were telling me? Oh, the last guy. He got into some weird shit, and then uh, eventually people stopped coming around, and the delivery stopped coming, and he didn't let the bridge down, and 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 and, and all these things. Nobody sold it. The deed passed into public ownership, but uh, the city sent two or three crews in there, and, uh, well, they never got them back. What do you mean got them back? I mean, they sent them in there, and uh, nobody came out. In fact, they sent the second crew in to get the first crew and see where they were, and they never came back either. So the city put the gate up, put a do not trespass sign on, and left it there. I mean, it's surrounded by running water. If it's haunted, at least they can't get off. Why Why was there never news of this? I, I the, the most research that, the, the, the most of my research revealed about the place is that some potentially pranksters were messing around with the place. That sounds like a legitimate, genuine haunting. Well, it certainly doesn't seem like the sort of thing you'd want advertised about your neighborhood, does it? But it's also hardly the type of thing that you can keep quiet for so long. Tell me, do you, do you know if do you know who was in charge of suppressing that information? Are you surprised that a wizard can keep a secret, Master Gerald? Touche. Uh, I know I wasn't very good at it, but uh, I, I do suppose we do play things a little close to the chest. Perception with advantage, Gerald. Yeah, that's 11. Sorry, I had to type it in twice. When uh, Castle reaches onto the tray to take a glass of wine, which is a beautiful sparkling blue, he holds it up to the light to appreciate the clarity of it, runs it past his nose, and a broad smile crosses his features. For descriptive purposes... Imagine John F. Kennedy with Tim Curry's smile. I think I see it. And he has a big, deep drink of this wine and just, you know, for a moment you can just see that he's, he feels really, really good and it radiates off him, right? Like everything's okay. Everything's safe now and he did a good job and this is good wine and he deserves this, you know? Hesitantly, uh, I will uh, reach for one of the other flutes on the tray. After you've made your choice, Judy takes the third one, and you all have a toast. To safety from the storm. To, uh, to mysteries best left unsolved. There's a snap from the door, and the alarm crackles into being. Magrin, Magrin, Magrin. Eh? Hand it over, hand it over, hand it over. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Um, and then I pass the horn to Garnak, missing the little top piece. I go in the corner, and I'm, if I have to, I'll probably, I might end up using chain or something else that I could put below it so I don't mess up the floor. I'm just going to start chopping the antler into chunks that I can fit into my backpack. 
rearrange it to the bottom, and then uh, pull out some food and start eating. What are the chances that we can convince her to remove the other one, just so she's balanced? You're the doctor. I'm not going to be able to get that one done. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. We'll work on that. Are we going to go check on Juro? We probably should. Speaking of Juro... Hey, Juro. Hi. Great people, like really smart, educated, informed, and with it sort of people. They're just great. And like neither one of them is 50 years old. Young people these days, I'm telling you. Fabulous taste in liquor. Right? And the music. My God. Like this, a mix of the latest and some classical, right? Just tasteful. The uh, hors d'oeuvres, the company, the conversation. You haven't had a better time since last year's salon. You, you remember that... You remember that incident that one time? Uh, wait, no. That was the time that I got banished from the mess hall. Do you remember the incident that... Literally banished from the mess hall. Of course I remember. You knew that was that year. Because that was also the year that I got banished from, <laughs> I got banished from the menagerie, not not the actual banishment. The the they, they banned me from that because that silly bard brought me and my entire class in there for for <clears throat> pardon me. I do believe the I do believe the the wine is starting to get to me. Do you need to retire, Professor? Because we could make a room for you here, or you could join your colleagues in the carriage house if that would make you more comfortable. And I, I, I do believe I should I should rejoin them. I don't want to leave them on their own. I'm I'm quite okay to to walk myself there, though. Don't don't uh, put yourself out out further on my account. Certainly not. Um, are you sure? Yes, yes, quite. I think I've, uh, I think I've just had one too many. Then please, uh, I have a, an umbrella. It will do the same effect as the spell I so grandiosely performed for you earlier and uh, get you safely and dryly back to the carriage house. Uh, please leave it there in the morning and we'll see you when you come back. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for your hospitality. It's been it's been wonderful catching up with you. And with you, Professor. Uh, and then and like then Judy comes drifting over as if on cue. And they both bid you good night in the most charming way. Wow. It's almost uncanny. As you're walking out, you're kind of stumbling along the road and the the wind is blowing, but sure enough, the, this umbrella is working exactly as advertised. You're walking out, oh, you might, you're about halfway there, and the storm is just raging, and uh, you make a perception check. <laughs> That's a four. Yeah, you don't see it coming. I, I don't see what coming. Pow! There is a figure which rushes by you invisibly in the rain um the hit that it lays on you is not substantial enough to hurt you 
with a flare, your mage armor sparks back into being. You forgot that you'd still had that up. Now that, my friend, is a quality Dweomer well cast. But besides all that, make a reflex save. Uh, 13. You manage to keep your feet, although you are spun around and the uh, camera goes to a side angle where we can't see any of the house, only Juro from about 20 feet away. And within the sphere of the illumination uh, of the shot, the trunk of a tree where the rain is beating off the leaves overhead. Juro holds the umbrella and we see that there is a clearing in the driving rain underneath it. However, there is only Juro out there in the rain. Juro is looking frantically around for whatever struck him. Shit, shit. Show yourself. There's a splashing of feet in the rain. Make a perception check. Uh, I kidding me it's another four you don't see this one either and speaking of fours another spin around as the human as the human sized figure at least because you now see the rough shape of it it's invisible that's why you can't see it oh fuck the fuck what the fuck it's a skulk it's another skulk the things followed you they followed you here oh fuck and you're out here all by yourself. You can't see it. You have no fucking magic. That thing almost killed Vesper with one shot. And all you have is your shitty little mage armor. You're fucking doomed, Jero. Make a wisdom save. It's a nine. Yeah, okay. So that you're do- you are fucking doomed if you don't do something quickly. So can I see motion through the rain at all? If you make a good enough perception check. I'm going to attempt that first. Just so I can get my bearings and get a direction that I need to run. All right. Just to figure out, just to get your bearings, you need it. I'll give you 50-50. Roll 10 or better. There we go. That's a 19. It's that way. Hey, Finn. Yeah. Make a perception check with advantage. Everybody else is drifting off to sleep. And so, for a brief moment, it is quiet in the carriage house. All you can hear is the ticking of the wood stove. It's a 17. And there's a brief pause in the rhythm of the rain. You know, how like it comes in sheets. Anybody who's ever gone to sleep while the rain comes in off the shore of any sizable body of water will know exactly the sound that I'm talking about. If you haven't, it's a steady sweep of rain that just comes in a rhythm as though the sky itself were breathing on you. And it's very soothing. And as everybody drifts off to that, uh, Finn, you're waiting up for the professor, so you've got your rifle clean and you're kind of sitting there with it on your lap, barrel pointed away from the door. But uh, definitely sitting in a chair waiting for the professor to come in. When you hear from just between the sweeps of rain, show yourself. Are there any windows in this house that we're in? Yep. There are. Well, there's one sizable window on the north wall and one on the south. Facing up towards the main house? One faces the house, one faces the coast, yes. Finn's going to 
get up from where he's sitting and walk over to where he thinks he heard the sound come from, looking up at the house to see if he can spot anything in the in the dim light. All right, so this is going to be tricky, but I don't want you to botch it, so I'm just going to give you a straight roll. Oh, okay. I'm going to roll a physical dice for this. That is a 16. You see Juro spin one way as though something hit him in the left, in the back left shoulder, right? And spins him around. He's uh, underneath an umbrella and he pirouettes like a drunken ballerina in the rain. But he regains his feet. And then there's another pass which hits him in the front of his right shoulder and spins him back the other way. But this is more of a painful wrench. This time the umbrella goes wide and the rain sweeps over him, knocks his hat off. Back to you, Jero. Initiative. Should I roll initiative? You get a free shot because you're seeing this. As soon as initiative is rolled, I will let you make a free attack. That's going to be seven. All right. So Finn, this time as he writes himself, he looks kind of frantic. Like his face is like, oh my God, what's happening here? And uh, he turns toward the coach house. And for a second, it looks like he's going to run that way. But you can see you're sure of it. Just in front of him, just as he's about to buckle down and bolt for the carriage house, there's a distortion between you and him. As of the rain flowing over something invisible. It's just the faintest smudge, but it is directly between you and Jiro. If you're wrong and it's just something on the glass, though, you're going to blow his fucking brains out if you take a shot at it. Just to let you know. So, seeing this... Finn's going to jump with a start and his reflex is probably going to be to bring his gun up and aim at the shape, take a shot at it. All right. And with this, you enter the initiative order. 23. You got your free shot? I'll take it now. Hang on. So he'll use the butt of his rifle to break the glass if it's in his way and then take his shot. Very theatrical. I will give you advantage. That's good, because the first attack was a 9, and the second was a 20. And then you get to go first, so you can roll another attack. Do I roll damage twice, or once, and then times two? What would you rather? I think times two would probably make more sense. It's one bullet, so I figured, you know, a well-placed bullet is gonna... Okay, double your roll, then. Okay, rolling now. So... The damage was 14, so 28 total. Fantastic. Uh, You can take your next shot, your shot. You can double tap him if you want. Will do. It's still moving after that first one. Finn will crank another shot into the chamber and take it. I rolled 16 to hit. And that hits. All right. Juro. Aye. The... Rain is everywhere. You look and you see where the like the, the skulk is coming for you. It is probably your best ch- your best chance would be to run, right? You call up your cantrips in your mind to, you know, maybe fight if you have to, and think maybe like, if you get closer, you could yell and somebody would hear you, right? But uh, you start making your way towards the carriage house anyway. Your feet are 
just taking you that way. As you're searching your mind for a spell, you look and there in front of you at the last minute, it's right there. It's seven feet tall. It has long clawed fingers and the water runs off it. You can see it as though it, it was covered in glass and it raises one of those hands up to smite the life out of you. And uh, you're pretty sure that your armor enchantment won't hold. And then it arches back and there is thunder with it to go with the rain. And then again, and the thing folds in half backwards and falls into the stones. And as you look, you can just see the blue blood running out of the wounds and the, you know, the, the rain pouring off the spasming invisible form at your feet. Drew is looking around frantically for whatever it was that caused it to just keel over and die. Uh, I step over the body and I'm, I'm also glancing around furtively trying to see if there's another one. Very good. They do hunt in pairs. So I'm not going to get my surprise attack, and this next one will have to enter combat next round. Oh, that's nice. What a clever sort you are. All right. The gunshots get everybody's adrenaline pumping in quick order. However, Vesper, you are still exhausted. You are tired. You pull yourself groggily to your feet and take, it still takes you a minute to shake it off. Magrin, paranoid sort that you are, you were already rolling up to your feet. So anybody who hasn't rolled initiative, roll initiative. I got three. Seven. Um, Jiro comes bombing towards the door and coming in at a tangent, like going to hit him from behind on an angle in like the worst possible way you see there's a like a stream coming through the rain from top of the round uh so do i have do i need to make a perception check to see the second one yes you need to make a perception check to see the second one however juro uh in charging over there as you are i will say that that it's also the help action and i will give Finn advantage Right, because it'll its attention will be on him. First roll was 13, second roll was 15. So your 15 is good enough. You can see the stripe of rain that's uh, running toward Jiro. So with my bonus action while training a shot, I'm going to call out Antimagrin. We're going to need that light. And I'll take a shot. Six. Okay, you thought it was running on a straighter angle, right? You let it too much. So your shot goes ripping right between them. Vesper is up next. And she will run over to the door and make a perception check to see if she can see this thing. Okay, so you run over to the door. Uh, Magrin is clear of your way. However, as a halfling, you can just be in anybody else's square anyway. That's an unnatural 20. Okay, yep, you see it. I'm going to use my action to cast Ice Knife. Well, is it within range for Ice Knife? Yes, if you used up the rest of your movement, you would be at maximum range to get it. Then I'm going to do that. All right. 
<clears throat> no, the first, the one level of exhaustion uh, just gives you disadvantage on ability checks. So your perception, did you roll with disadvantage? Oh, I did not. Give me one moment. The re-roll gave me an 18 total. 10 damage, and then I believe it's I need a dex save. 19. Succeeds, so just the 10 ice damage. All right, so you... Uh, fire an ice knife off into the rain. Vesper just yells, fuck! And her turn is over. Magrin and Juro simultaneously on seven. Just uh, just to confirm, the uh, she took the skull down, correct? Doctor, after you. Okay, wonderful. I am going to pull a candle from my pack and light it because I don't trust it for a second that this is over. And then I'm going to yell, sweetie, don't overextend yourself. We were low on, I'm low on magic right now. In, in a motherly tone. Um, as you light the candle, I'm going to conjure up a, a small mage hand to hold over the flame to, to go with you so that it doesn't get put out by the rain. With a gesture, a globe surrounds the candle. I would just yell, inside, now! And I'd be just in there covering the door. The door slams shut. Everybody is within, although a few of you have been soaked anew. Headcount, is everybody okay? Nobody's dead. Different definition, but nobody's dead. So sorry. Thank you. Thank all of you. If you can believe it, Magrin's hair is even worse when it's bedhead. Um, but she is giving Juro a bit of the stink eye, being like, What were you doing out in the storm in the middle of the night? Because she is still kind of in the dark and tired. Dark night. Yeah, very it's dark skulls. night. Don't forget that part. Dark and raining and cold and, well, it would appear, well, you've already seen them, we've been followed. That's why the guardhouse is alarmed. Well, I'm sure we're all quite alarmed now. No, I mean, like, magically warded and alarmed. So that way, if we get followed... We hit them first from a position of safety and where we can defend ourselves. That doesn't work outside of the warded area. Yes, yes, I take your point. I, I'm sorry. I was just heading back from... Uh, I was heading back from uh, an evening over at... Over at Hank and Judy's place. Oh, I haven't... <clears throat> I haven't had that much to drink in... Well, almost a decade. They let you out into that storm... Across the street from the house. Like you are now. Well, it wasn't that far, and they gave me an umbrella. Magical umbrella, if you'd believe. So you were gallivanting out... Well, we no. were injured. No, I was... 
Yes, I'm Gallivanting, drinking wine. <laughs> no, I was... Hang on. Do I... Do I sense that there's any... Uh, other than uh, alcohol, obviously, do I sense that there's any influence over my actions of the last few hours? Nope, just a little good company, some, some drinking, a bit of whiskey, some wine. Good times, good people. Excellent time. Look, I, I propose a rule. We don't run off. We stick together. We have people dying, or almost dying, and almost undying, because we keep separating. There's no way this is a good idea. Stay together. Stay where we can protect each other. Stay where we're not going to be ambushed by creatures we cannot see. And always assume there's something you cannot see when you're in a place you are not familiar with. Then we might live through this. We're clear across the a, a, a broken bridge. Are you really going to argue with me about that we should have been safe across the street from the place with the undead creatures that were invisible that almost ate us and then fed us to, uh, I apologize, I forgot the name of the grub, the proper type. Magrin, help me out. The the rot grubs. Rot grubs, about the worst type of grub that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, let's not argue that that was a safe idea when we have documented evidence that it was not safe. No, 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 no. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. But it does occur to me that there shouldn't be skulks over here. There's literally no way they could have gotten here. Not from the house. Hammer cuts outside and sweeps down the castle's driveway for the hundred yards it takes to hop the fence and cross the street to the pillars that lead out to the causeway at Hawthorne House, where we see that the bridge is still down and that the rain, which was falling on the, gra- on the glass on the bridge, now falls straight through. But it all falls through at once, along with a, something about human size that hits the water below with a splash, and then with a scream as the water foams with sharks. Back to you. They were my students. Can you believe that? No, I can't. 35 years ago, uh, Hank, Henry, took my abjuration course. And it took some some, uh, digging, but I do, in fact, remember him. And... Well, I helped Judy with her licensing. But that's all I can think about. They, they seem otherwise just lovely people. They have children. Uh, they have great taste in food and liquor. Uh, sorry. But no, otherwise they just seem like you're... <sighs> did they have great taste or did they have your taste? Well, that's... I mean, that's probably, that's probably not really relevant, I would assume, uh, but. No, it is. It's a, it's very relevant whether or not what you had lines up with your taste 
or it could just line up with general good taste. What this isn't see? an insult. This isn't an elf comment. I get that we do that a bit, but no, seriously, was everything aligned to how you would normally prefer? You're not human. You're not like them. You have similarities and you have vast drastic differences. Was it your taste or theirs? At this, my uh, head kind of tilts to one side, almost as if there's liquid in one of my ears that's trying to escape. But, um, and just this thoughtful expression across my face, just my face screws up with concentration. It, it was, that wine was, was elvish. I think I need to have a lie down. Um, head feels so so heavy. Do you mind if I just just take a peek to make sure you're not under any kind of influence? Uh, by all means, yes, of course. So, um, Magarin will put on her extremely large spectacles. I don't know if anyone has seen them yet. Um, they have a variety of different lenses of bright colors. Um, that are all on little um, hinges, so they can be brought down or pulled up as needed. Um, if anyone knows Magrin, you know she does not actually need glasses. Um, these are her aura, aura, eh, aura spectacles. So she's going to look through them at Jero to see if any magical effects have taken over him. Can I ask you to roll medicine for me, please? That is a 12. His chakras are discombobulated and misaligned. Hmm. Hmm. This isn't good at all. This isn't good at all. Jero, we're going to have to fix this. There is there, something off. Yeah, he, he has a fair amount of dis-ease in his... Uh, just around his heart chakra, which is too far back and up and to the right. Also, he could probably do with a good adjustment and uh, some acupuncture. Like, mystically, he's a mess. His dragon lines are all blocked. His chakras are clogged right up with this stagnant, gunky bullshit. He, like, <clears throat> having a look at his, his general geomantic and odilic aura as it intertwines with his personal spirit and uh thomic resonance he's yeah er everything is it's just slightly out of whack uh clogged up this is a high performance engine that's been running on regular test fuel right this needs the high test to, to run properly and you could probably degunk it but uh, not in a carriage house, not without a full set of needles. Jero, what have you been doing to yourself? Everything is misaligned and gonked up. When we, go, when we get back, we're going to have to do a full cleansing of your aura. It's the only way to realign all of these. Cleansing? Of course, cleansing. Vesper just laughs at this. I don't need a cleansing. I don't need one of your cleansings. Have you seen the your dragon lines and the way they connect to the ley lines recently? You're all out of whack. I'm surprised you can use magic at all. I don't have dragon lines. What nonsense is this? 
she jams a thumb into the spot behind your ear. Ah. And with her, the crook of her right knee hooks your right elbow. And then with her left arm, just kind of gets you in a bit of a chokehold. There is a momentary flex and a crack. And uh, it, it should hurt her. That noise should come with pain. But uh, when she lets you go, you feel like you can breathe after you've been hunched over. Like you feel like you can stand up and finally fill your lungs after having walked around hunched over all day. What the hell did you just? Oh, oh, oh my! I find a practical demonstration is the best way to prove my point, since you clearly didn't read my most recent dissertation. I, I may have skimmed, but but I do I do read your work, just so we're clear on that. Of course you do. At, at this, uh, <laughs> at this, uh, Drew re- remembers that uh, he's quite inebriated and his legs turn to jelly after the sudden release of tension from that cracking and he just kind of collapses to the floor his legs aren't working correctly as he collapses to the floor in a boneless heap uh, the camera slows and as the camera focuses on Jiro in slow motion on his way to the floor we see the general tone and coloration of not only Jiro, but the whole room around him shift from spring to autumn to summer with a brief flick through winter and then finally back to spring. Kaboosh! The slow motion effect ends when he hits. Finn, are you taking first watch still? Finn will say... I don't think we should be staying here. I think we need to get the fuck out of here. Where do you want to go before the morning? Somewhere where no one knows where we are. Random directions in the night in a storm? Yeah, that's probably not the direction ahead. Unless we got a destination, leaving here is just as good as dying. Snaps to Magrin, whose eyebrow raises for a second. I think I agree with Garmac, Finn. In this rain, with our health and the lack of magic we have going around, not to mention Juro's inebriation, I think we have to stay here, as awful as that sounds. Right now, I think our best bet is to hunker down, see what we can do, and get through the night. We hit the morning. We can go wherever you want, Finn, and you can take lead. I got no problem with that. Right now, we need to live to the morning and try and get some people back ready to function. Y'all don't think we can trust those couple up there, do you? They sent Jor out to the storm with undead walking around. No. We're alive at the moment. Some of us would not have been if they didn't show. I have no idea who they are or what they're doing. They could have killed Juro and said they let him out to die in the cold. None of this makes sense. But leaving this place doesn't lead to anywhere where we're going to survive. We don't have a destination. We have nowhere within a safe journey's distance where we can get to cover. We're wandering in the dark with invisible creatures out at night. There is no way that that's a good de- good decision. 
All right, Garnack, I trust you. I'll take first watch. That's good. I'm, I was only half convinced myself. What all is in this room that I might be able to put up in front of the broken window to give us a little bit more shelter? There's a card table that uh, had been set up with some coffee and pastries and stuff on it. The pastries are gone. The dishes have been taken away and the coffee pot, this carafe with a warming enchantment on it. Like these things cost 20 gold dollars, right? And they just left one out here in case you wanted some coffee in the night. Well, I'll take this, clear it off, flip it on its side, put it up against the window to shield us from some of the the rain and the wind, and then settle myself uh, f- far away, but within sight line of the door. There's a uh, small loft up on the top back of the garage, which now that, you know, people look around, there's a ladder that goes up there, check it out. There is room up there for all of you if you need to, or you could spread around the room as you have. There are cots in various positions, just so it's mentioned. Finn, you take the commanding view from the loft. You can see both windows and both doors. You uh, set up your chair, settle down with your rifle, and uh, commence to watching. Before too long at all, the steady rain on the tin roof of the carriage house soon lulls you all to a deep and peaceful sleep. Well, not all of you. Finn, I need you to make a wisdom save. That's an eight. Well, you managed to make it two hours. But two hours of that is uh, is oddly soothing. And so uh, you can't really keep your eyes open much longer than that. Vesper, I'm turning in. You're up. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, okay, cool. Great. And you get up. You're going to get up. You're totally going to get up. Yep. I'm going to get up. Super. You're exhausted, remember, and have hit zero hit points more than once a day. And so, although you have every intention of going, of getting up and getting on with the watch and everything like that, you are fucking tired. So, like, just for 10 seconds more, you know you can get up, right? You close your eyes for 10 seconds more. No problem. The sun rises at about 6 o'clock in the morning. The place smells like sleeping people, sweat, farts, and bad breath, and all of the things that come with a bunch of people sleeping in close quarters. There's still some soft snoring going on, and you can hear Finn snoring softly from the loft upstairs, and Vesper is fast asleep with her tail twitching every once in a while as it hangs off the end of the cot that she's sleeping on. Sit down, let me talk to you kids I'ma tell you all a story It might get a little gory But I promise you that it will not be boring Honey, get back at night, there's really monsters I'm telling you this because I've really seen them They're scary and hairy And eat up the kids with big old teeth And so you better be ready to
Rune Landers is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Don't be scared, son. It's just me. Come here. Remember the story about the big bad wolf who wanted to eat the little kids. Remember the story about the big bad wolf who wanted to eat the little kids. They run it away and they got one up in their house. Hoping the wishing that when they come, he don't conquer. Son, I'ma take it with secret to find me, don't forget, but I'ma just let you know that your daddy's a monster. When they see me coming, let the screaming when they see me coming, let me tell you a story, tell you a story, I know.